Fall has always been my favorite season, and October is my favorite month. Yes, October is my birthday month, but that isn't the only reason I love it so much. In the American South, it's the time of year when the temperatures begin to drop, leaves change their color, and all things pumpkin, whether in taste or smell, appear for our enjoyment. Many of you know that I'm a bit of a candle connoisseur. Okay, okay, it's probably better described as an obsession. But this is a judgment-free zone. During the autumn months, I craved the scents of pumpkin, caramel, spice, apple, and campfire. Candles help fulfill that craving, and there's a certain spooky ambiance that a flame brings as it dances across the top of a wax-soaked wick. The sights and smells of fall are quite lovely. Plus, who doesn't love hoodie season? All that said, I'm sure you can guess the biggest reason I love fall and October so much. I'm a big fan of holidays. Because I'm such a sucker for nostalgia, holidays tend to bring to mind precious memories of family, friends, and fun times. Christmas is joyous, New Year's Eve is always memorable, and Valentine's Day is sweet. But there's something about Halloween that sunk roots deep down into my heart. It's my favorite of all the holidays, and the one I look most forward to each year. Looking back on my life, I've got a mountain of great memories trick-or-treating, visiting haunted house attractions, and watching scary movies by candlelight. And, as Halloween approaches once again, I thought it'd be fun to share some of these past experiences with you, dear listener. I'm sure there will be much you can relate to, but I'm also hoping to inspire you to reflect on some of your own cherished moments centered around October 31st and the days leading up to it. So, allow me to invite you to settle back, grab a pumpkin spice beverage, and snuggle up into your favorite hoodie. But please... Remember to leave a light on. I was raised in a fairly conservative Christian household, yet my mom always allowed me to get dressed up and go trick-or-treating on Halloween. I'm grateful for that. There's an old home video of me at the age of three or four, dressed as the devil. Now... I know I'm biased, but I think I looked absolutely adorable in my red jumpsuit, hooked tail, and curly mustache drawn on my face. At one point, I walk up to the jack-o'-lantern on our front porch, act as if I'm going to touch it, but then pull back. I then look at the camera and repeat, hot, hot, hot as if I was teaching a very important lesson to anyone watching. It's a cute video, but I don't remember experiencing any of it. 
My earliest Halloween memory comes when I was six years old. I was dressed up in a fairly elaborate Dracula costume, complete with a painted face and false widow's peak. My mom was dressed up as a bunny, and in the words of my stepdad, it was of the sexy playboy variety. She went on to win the Halloween costume contest that took place later that night at my preschool. And I can't help but laugh when I think about how hilarious that is. Once I was in middle school, I was allowed to go out trick-or-treating with a group of friends without any parents. We all thought this was the coolest thing since sliced bread. On what other occasion would adults encourage kids to go put on masks, go out with their friends after sundown, and take candy from strangers? Halloween is magic, I'm telling y'all. And the greater mystery is that we never got into any real mischief. Sure, there was the time I got one of those cheap necklaces with the -the glow-in-the-dark liquid, bit into it, and then proceeded to cover my face in the stuff. Did it burn? Yes. Was it dangerous? Probably not. When there was a bucket on a front porch with a sign telling us just how many pieces of candy we were allowed to take? Did we obey? Usually not, but we also wouldn't completely empty the bucket either. The last few years I ever went trick-or-treating, I liked to sit down with my back to someone's front door and then have one of my friends ring the doorbell so that when the homeowner opened their door, I'd fall into their front hall like a corpse. That one actually got a lot of laughs, but it also (laughs) pissed a few people off. So, I guess when I say we never got into any real mischief, what I mean is that we weren't destructive vandals. I can proudly state that I've never smashed a jack-o'-lantern that wasn't mine. And, while I can't say that I've never TP'd someone's front yard, I can attest to not having done it on Halloween. You see, I view Halloween as being sacred. It's meant for fun, and not for vandalism. It's meant for fear, but not the truly dangerous kind. One of the best ways to be scared in the good way, through the month of October, is by watching horror films. I've got a small list of movies that I view every spooky season, and we'll list those momentarily. But for now, I'll say that one of the biggest reasons these specific films get a yearly rewatch is based on nothing more than nostalgia. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm a sucker for nostalgia. And movies are like time capsules of nostalgic pleasure. The visuals, the music the memorable lines of dialogue, the unforgettable characters, and terrifying moments. They all play a role in creating movie magic. I remember TNT's Monster Vision, AMC's Monster Fest, and Spike TV's Stephen King Movie Marathons. And even though I can stream or play the Blu-ray of just about any of my favorite horror movies, There's something special 
about tuning in to AMC's Fear Fest so that I can have the edited-for-TV versions, along with commercial breaks, playing in the background of whatever I'm doing around my home. It's the perfect spooky season soundtrack. For the last few years, the Halloween night tradition in the Gloom household is to order pizza, drink pumpkin-flavored beer, and carve jack-o'-lanterns, all while John Carpenter's Halloween and then Halloween 2 play on the TV. At bedtime, we take the jack-o'-lanterns into the bedroom, place them on the dresser, turn on It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and drift off to sleep. November 1st, a.k.a. Halloween Hangover, is the lamest day of the year, so I'm not even going to say any more about it. All right, in no particular order, here are the 16 films I find myself watching every October. Each year, I try to fit at least 10 of these movies in, plus a few scary movies I've never seen before. John Carpenter's Halloween. It's the immortal classic. Do I need to say more? Halloween 2. A tremendous sequel. Hocus Pocus. This is my favorite Halloween kids movie, hands down. John Carpenter's The Fog. The soundtrack to this film is the perfect spooky season vibe. I actually listened to it on repeat while writing my debut novel, The Window. Trick or Treat. I'm a sucker for anthology films, and the way all these stories tie together is perfectly executed. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. The opening montage of this movie is pure fall nostalgia. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Is this a Halloween or Christmas movie? Why not both? Friday the 13th. This one is a major scary comfort film for me. It follows. The soundtrack and cinematography give me goosebumps. It's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Just silly, sweet, and tender. The Wicker Man, 1973. Not silly, sweet, or tender. But Christopher Lee's performance is unforgettable. Sleepy Hollow. This is Tim Burton at his spookiest. Danny Elfman also delivers a horrifically good score. Rosemary's Baby. Best not to watch this cult horror classic right before bed. The ending is quite unsettling. Casper. I saw this in theaters as a kid. It isn't an Oscar-worthy film by any means, but it's very nostalgic for me. Ernest, Scared Stupid. This movie is scarier than you'd expect. And it's got a lot of heart, too. Don't sleep on this movie. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The much maligned Halloween film that left Michael Myers behind. John Carpenter's original plan was for the Halloween franchise to continue as an anthology of sorts 
But after the public outcry, it was clear that people wanted Michael Myers more than they wanted the genius who created the character. Even without the shape stalking through Haddonfield, this is one of my favorite films in the franchise. Music also plays a big role in creating the spooky season feels that I need each year, which is why I've created two Spotify playlists that I'd like to share with you, dear listener. The first playlist is over four hours of fun Halloween or horror-themed music, with artists ranging from Michael Jackson to Creedence Clearwater and from Alice Cooper to Frank Sinatra. There's something here for everybody. With songs like Season of the Witch, Don't Fear the Reaper, Somebody's Watching Me, and The Purple People Eater, it's a great playlist for a Halloween party, game night with the family, or to help combat the Halloween hangover while taking down the decorations in November. Just search Thomas Gloom's Fun Halloween on Spotify to access the public playlist. But if you're hoping for an even spookier playlist, then I've got one that is full of scary music from horror films and TV shows that'll leave you sleeping with the lights on. This one is great for telling ghost stories, setting an uneasy mood for trick-or-treaters, or writing scary fiction. Just search Thomas Gloom's Scary Halloween on Spotify to access the over two-hour public playlist. Okay, so you've got some spooky movies to choose from. Your Halloween season soundtrack is set in Tomb stone? But maybe you simply want to keep it old school. Well, I've got you covered there too. To wrap up this special bonus episode, I'm going to read you a classic scary tale. In order to keep the copyright ghouls from coming from my head, I chose something written long ago, so it's now part of the public domain. So, dear listener, get comfortable and light a few candles as I read you something from the mind of Mark Twain, entitled simply, A Ghost Story. Enjoy. A Ghost Story by Mark Twain I took a large room far up Broadway, in a huge old building whose upper stories had been wholly unoccupied for years, until I came. The place had long been given up to dust and cobwebs, to solitude and silence. I seemed groping among the tombs and invading the privacy of the dead. That first night I climbed up to my quarters. For the first time in my life, A superstitious dread came over me, and as I turned a dark angle of the stairway and an invisible cobweb swung its lazy woof in my face and clung there, I shuddered, as one who had encountered a phantom. I was glad enough when I reached my room and locked out the mold and darkness. A cheery fire was burning in the grate, and I sat down before it with a comforting sense of relief. 
For two hours I sat there, thinking of bygone times, recalling old scenes, and summoning half-forgotten faces out of the mists of the past, listening in fancy to voices that long ago grew silent for all time, and to once familiar songs that nobody sings now. And as my reverie softened down to a sadder and sadder pathos, the shrieking of the winds outside softened to a wail, the angry beating of the rain against the panes diminished to a tranquil patter, and one by one the noises in the street subsided, until the hurrying footsteps of the last belated straggler died away in the distance and left no sound behind. The fire had burned low. A sense of loneliness crept over me. I arose and undressed, moving on tiptoe about the room, doing stealthily what I had to do, as if I were environed by sleeping enemies whose slumbers it would be fatal to break. I covered up in bed and lay listening to the rain and wind and the faint creaking of distant shutters till they lulled me to sleep. I slept profoundly, but how long I do not know. All at once I found myself awake and filled with a shuddering expectancy. All was still. All but my own heart. I could hear it beat. Presently, the bedclothes began to slip away slowly toward the foot of the bed, as if someone were pulling them. I could not stir. I could not speak. Still, the blanket slipped deliberately away, till my breast was uncovered. Then, with a great effort, I seized them and drew them over my head. I waited, listened, waited. Once more, that steady pull began, and once more I lay torpid a century of dragging seconds till my breast was naked again. At last, I roused my energies and snatched the covers back to their place and held them with a strong grip. I waited. By and by, I felt a faint tug and took a fresh grip. The rug strengthened to a steady strain. It grew stronger and stronger. My hold parted, and for the third time the blanket slid away. I groaned. An answering groan came from the foot of the bed. Beaded drops of sweat stood upon my forehead. I was more dead than alive. Presently, I heard a heavy footstep in my room. The step of an elephant, it seemed to me. It was not like anything human. But it was moving from me. There was relief in that. I heard it approach the door, pass out without moving bolt or lock, and wander away among the dismal corridors, straining the floors and joists till they creaked again as it passed. And then... Silence reigned once more. When my excitement had calmed, I said to myself, This is a dream. Simply a hideous dream. And so I lay thinking it over, 
until I convinced myself that it was a dream. And then a comforting laugh relaxed my lips and I was happy again. I got up and struck a light, and when I found the locks and bolts were just as I had left them, another soothing laugh welled in my heart and rippled from my lips. I took my pipe and lit it, and was just sitting down before the fire when... Down went the pipe out of my nerveless fingers. The blood forsook my cheeks, and my placid breathing was cut short with a gasp. In the ashes on the hearth, side by side with my own bare footprint, was another. So vast that, in comparison, mine was but an infant's. Then I had had a visitor, and the elephant tread was explained. I put out the light and returned to bed, palsied with fear. I lay a long time, peering into the darkness and listening. Then I heard a grating noise overhead, like the dragging of a heavy body across the floor. Then the throwing down of the body and the shaking of my windows in response to the concussion. In distant parts of the building... I heard the muffled slamming of doors. I heard, at intervals, stealthy footsteps creeping in and out among the corridors and up and down the stairs. Sometimes, these noises approached my door, hesitated, and went away again. I heard the clanking of chains faintly in remote passages and listened while the clanking grew nearer while it wearily climbed the stairways, marking each move by the loose surplus of chain that fell with an accented rattle upon each succeeding step as the goblin that bore it advanced. I heard muttered sentences, half-uttered screams that seemed smothered violently, and the swish of invisible garments and the rush of invisible wings. Then... I became conscious that my chamber was invaded, that I was not alone. I heard sighs and breathings about my bed and mysterious whisperings. Three little spheres of phosphorescent light appeared on the ceiling directly over my head, clung and glowed there a moment, and then dropped, two of them upon my face and one upon the pillow. They spattered liquidly, and felt warm. Intuition told me they had turned to gouts of blood as they fell. I needed no light to satisfy myself of that. Then I saw pallid faces, dimly luminous, and white uplifted hands floating bodiless in the air, floating a moment, and then disappearing. The whispering ceased, and the voices and the sounds in a solemn stillness followed. I waited and listened. I felt that I must have light or die. I was weak with fear. I slowly raised myself toward a sitting position, and my face came in contact with a clammy hand. All strength went from me, apparently, and I fell back like a stricken invalid. Then... I heard the rustle of a garment. It seemed to pass to the door and go out. 
When everything was still once more, I crept out of bed, sick and feeble, and lit the gas with a hand that trembled as if it were aged with a hundred years. The light brought some little cheer to my spirits. I sat down and fell into a dreamy contemplation of that great footprint in the ashes. By and by, its outlines began to waver and grow dim. I glanced up and the broad gas flame was slowly wilting away. In the same moment, I heard that elephantine tread again. I noted its approach, nearer and nearer. Along the musty halls, and dimmer and dimmer the light waned. The tread reached my very door, and paused. The light had dwindled to a sickly blue, and all things about me were in a spectral twilight. The door did not open, and yet I felt a faint gust of air fan my cheek, and presently was conscious of a huge, cloudy presence before me. I watched it with fascinated eyes. A pale glow stole over the thing. Gradually, its cloudy folds took shape. An arm appeared, then legs, then a body. And last, a great sad face looked out of the vapor. Stripped of its filmy housings, naked, muscular, and comely, the majestic Cardiff giant loomed above me. All my misery vanished, for a child might know that no harm could come with that benignant countenance. My cheerful spirits returned at once, and in sympathy with them the gas turned up brightly again. Never a lone outcast was so glad to welcome company as I was to greet the friendly giant. I said, Why is it nobody but you? Do you know? I've been scared to death for the last two or three hours. I am most honestly glad to see you. I wish I had a chair. Here, here, don't try to sit down in that thing. But it was too late. He was in before I could stop him. And down he went. I never saw a chair shivered so in my life. Stop, stop, you'll ruin ev- Too late again. There was another crash, and another chair was resolved into its original elements. Confound it! Haven't you got any judgment at all? Do you want to ruin all the furniture on the place? Here, here, you petrified fool! But it was no use. Before I could arrest him, he had sat down on the bed, and it was a melancholy ruin. Now what sort of a way is that to do? First you come lumbering about the place, bringing a legion of vagabond goblins along with you to worry me to death. And then, when I overlook an indelicacy of costume, which would not be tolerated anywhere by cultivated people except in a respectable theater, and not even there if the nudity were of your sex, you repay me by wrecking all the furniture you can find to sit down on. And why will you? You damage yourself as much as you do me. You have broken off the end of your spinal column and littered up the floor with chips of your hands till the place looks like a marble yard. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You are big enough to know better. 
But when I saw a light in your room tonight, I roused my energies again and went at it with a deal of the old freshness. But I am tired out, entirely fagged out. Give me, I beseech you, give me some hope. I lit off my perch in a burst of excitement and exclaimed, This transcends everything, everything that ever did occur. Why, you poor, blundering old fossil, you have had all your trouble for nothing. You have been haunting a plastered cast of yourself. The real Cardiff giant is in Albany. Confound it! Don't you know your own remains? I never saw such an eloquent look of shame, of pitiable humiliation, overspread a countenance before. The petrified man rose slowly to his feet and said, Honestly, is that true? As true as I am standing here. He took the pipe from his mouth and laid it on the mantel, then stood irresolute a moment, unconsciously from old habit thrusting his hands where his pantaloon pockets should have been, and meditatively dropping his chin on his breast, and finally said, Well, I never felt so absurd before. The petrified man has sold everything else, and now the mean fraud has ended by selling his own ghost. My son, If there is any charity left in your heart for a poor, friendless phantom like me, don't let this get out. Think how you would feel if you had made such an ass of yourself. I heard this stately tramp die away, step by step down the stairs and out into the deserted street and felt sorry that he had gone, poor fellow, and sorrier still that he had carried off my red blanket and my bathtub. I want to thank you for spending some time with me on this spookiest of holidays. The Halloween hangover is coming, but for now, let's keep basking in the horror and chills before the vibe trudges off into the darkness. This is Thomas Gloom, signing off for now, but I'll be back soon. And whatever you choose to do with the rest of your evening, dear listener, I hope you remember to leave a light on. <laughs>